0: Welcome to Lessons Episodes of Success Story, part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. These Lessons Episodes will be shorter conversations with past guests, valued members of the Success Story community, and myself. They'll be focused on teaching you actionable, insightful takeaways that you can use to upskill your personal and professional life. As a first-time entrepreneur, building a company, first company, two to exit is not common for most people so the process of building that up when did you understand how you'd like to carry that company you know what was the milestone or the revenue number where you're like hey this works we have product market fit let's continue to grow we don't need the playbook for the the entire cycle of growth but what's that product market fit point when idea is validated and then also after that walk me through the exit the acquisition and then the pivot into m13
1: Sure. I mean, I think the um, you know one thing that really attracted us to spirits on paper was that because innovation was so hard. And I, I won't go into all the reasons it's really hard, but it's it's really hard for new incumbents. It's really hard to get distribution. There's no pivoting to some other product. <laughs> You've got something sitting in a bottle. You know, I mean, and um, you're really at the behest. Large. I mean, we did spirits, which is a little different than wine, a little different than beer. So what I'm saying is, is pertains mostly to spirits, but you can't really sell direct to consumers. So I don't really. I don't really. It's harder to get accurate data, especially then, of who my consumer was, what their purchase occasion was. I mean, all kinds of things. You have to really, I would say, in many ways, do by hand. And so, um, one of the things that attracts us to spirits was there. There are companies that sold. You know, an average exit could be easily like eight to 12 times sales because it's that hard to do. So to the victor goes and spoils. And you know, there's, of course, there's companies that sold for a couple times sales, but there was, um, you know, Grey Goose. I think, I think Bacardi bought Grey Goose. I haven't said this stat out loud in a while, but I think something like 14 times sales because it was that accretive because it was growing so fast and they needed a vodka. Um, I think multiples have come down and things have, have changed a little bit. That's what it was like then. So we saw that opportunity. Um, of course, we should have known. There's a catch that the reason something could go for ten times sales is because it's hard it as hell that to, hard do. to do. <laughs> your chest. Still, nothing. Still, in many ways, still nothing harder. I've tried to do with lower, lower odds. If you start from a, um, you know, kind of a standing start. I think if you have unfair advantages, which is what we're always looking yeah. for, or relationships. Thankfully, I, I do now. So I'm put a gun to my head to start a spirits brand, which might be about what it yeah. takes. Um, but, um, but I think. I think the, I think the point where we had something, it's, it was, you know, we never had the the total number of distribution points of like a, a, an absolute or a gray goose, of course, but we had, um, we were in the very high end places. We were in kind of like the trendier, we were very on-premise, which means we were in bars, clubs, restaurants in like major mm-hmm. metros, New York, Miami, LA, you get it. Um, so we had it at those places. And I think, I think the simple simplest metrics are stuff like reorder rates and same store sales because if people are actually reordering Vive or calling for it, um, that starts to tell you you have something. So that's kind of the anecdotal stuff. And then, you know, there's a whole bunch of metrics in terms of like cases sold and revenue and reorder rates that kind of let you know that hey, you might you might be in the ballpark of um, something that someone wants to acquire. The funny thing is, I would say you know, we all read about these companies that like everyone's following ourselves to buy and this and that. But the reality is even most things that get sold. And we talk about this in our book is like most things are a nice to have, not a need to have. And Vive, in all candidness was very much that like people were interested, but no one was willing to like, you know, give up their firstborn for it. So now it's a dance of like making sure you, we, we our last chapter of our book, shortcut your startups talks about how, Assuming you think you might want to sell it, if there's even a chance you might want to sell your company, you need to build it with that in mind so that you have the option but not the obligation. And I think what a lot of people do is go, I don't think I want to sell it. And even if it's less than 50-50, then one day you decide you want to. It doesn't mean all is lost, but it means you have some work to do because there is a whole, you know, art to the what I'll call kind of like, um, you know, we did some things to get noticed. We left the breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. One time we bought a billboard right by our biggest distributor so that people saw it. You know, stuff like that to kind of give the um, the appearance that we were um, doing well, even though we were, but if a tree falls in the woods. So it's a lot of, it is a lot of those breadcrumbs and it's a lot of, um, you know, I joined some industry groups and went to a couple conferences with people that I'd never met to try to build that relationship just so it wasn't like, A thirsty cold email saying hey want to buy me slide a number across the table right and there's there's a whole um, art to that which I don't think I've mastered but I've mastered it enough that i have been able to sell some stuff but I think that's a huge you know some people I talked to get really no one's called me to buy my company I'm like and no one probably ever will but that doesn't mean it's not a good company it doesn't mean someone won't buy it for a number that makes you very very happy you just have to put on their radar and make them um, you know, at, at Goldman, we we always say something to the effect of momentum or the appearance of momentum. And uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you just have to kind of create your own luck and create your own momentum so that people all of a sudden go, wait, I'm hearing about Veeve everywhere. Maybe I yeah. should should call them and find out more. You know, that was that was kind of the the goal. Is that, that
0: something that you look for now? Like when you put money into companies, do you look for owners that are building to sell that have that mindset from the outside? or is that something you train over because they're just they walk me through like that.
1: Well, I think what we do, you know, in venture, the goal in general is not to, um, with some exceptions, like you're, you know, I have a fund with a finite life expectancy. So it's not great if someone holds it for 20 years, something they build, um, even if it's, you know, even if it's a great company. So yeah, we, you know, we have to look for liquidity. But I think the flip side is, what, what we do look for is we want someone who has a big vision, someone who, as I said, we want to be at the, the, the forefront of consumer behavior. So those companies can be big. So I want someone with a big vision. Um, and don't get me wrong, I've, I've sold companies in the tens of millions and the hundreds of millions that I've started, but I'm not, you know, for it to be a venture-backed company, Like I can't, I, like, if it re- took one check and sold for $25 million, a lot of people would probably be happy. That's not how venture capital works. So it's, it's power laws. We have to, um you know back people who who tell us they want to build something big but we have to believe it because yep. occasionally you get the person who says they want to build something big they've got a little lightning in a bottle and the first offer that comes across the table then they want to take and you're like wait that's
0: a not, lot that's you not know. that's not as much <laughs> it's a lot for somebody who's never yeah, gotten a check before much. but <laughs> for, yeah. yeah i got you
1: and that is attention and look we always want what's best for the founders but that's why we just try to be upfront about like what are what are both our, our, our yeah. objectives like no one's trying to hang on too long no one's trying to get you to do something that we can't do but if you want to build something there you know there are those things that who knows how big they can get like an open AI. yeah what
0: was the what was the the, the process between after you sold v you're like listen i really want to build VC, I really want to go in. I want to. I want to have a vehicle for venture. I, uh, you know, maybe we can bring in some LP money. We can. We can find some great deals. Find some great founders. Uh, like your 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 mindset or your thesis for what M thirteen was going to be. What was that?
1: Yeah, I think we we kind of like. I I can't say my you know my brother had more of a vision for M thirteen, but I think we kind of in some ways fell into it by based on our activity set in the macro as I said in the macro living in a place like LA at the time and you know now we have offices in New York and, and some other places but um at the time LA is just having this moment of like how things are built like harnessing media and social media and influencer stuff we were pretty well versed in that and then you're kind of in LA um and then you know, tech enabling different brands to grow it at, at um, you know, to scale much faster and get up the J curve than they ever previously were able to so um, that was all happening and the last couple of years of vive we I think kind of knew it wasn't our, uh, our there there few big future. so we had we had made some other angel investments we had joined some other boards and so um, you know all in consumer tech and some of those have gone really well. Another a couple of other companies got acquired one went public. Um, and then we had some investments personally that, that did really well. We had a, um, you know, we put in some of the first million on Ring, the mm-hmm. video doorbell. That's, I think, Shark Tank's biggest product ever. Um, things like.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus.